Victoria Young is Investigations, uh, editor at Business Desk and our business commentator. And thank you. We appreciate your time, Victoria. Good morning. Good morning, Catherine. Now, the Fonterra latest estimate for Farmgate price has jumped up by 50 cents, which I think is getting into break-even territory. It's a bit of a mystery, this whole process, though, isn't it? Because there's a final price, but there's all these iterations ahead of it. And what goes into determining it? Uh, and are things on the rise? Yeah, well, there are a lot of things that factor into this, but it's sort of good times for farmers. The range has been lifted by 50 cents to $6.50 a kilo for milk solids, to between that and $8 a kilo. So Chief Executive of Fonterra, Miles Harrell, he is saying improved outlook, but not a full-on recovery. I mean, this... Um, a season they've slashed the price twice already I think and now looking at the global dairy trade auctions um, which are quite a key contributor to the payout you know that's seen improvement a bit of a rebound so you know maybe it has been tough for farmers I don't I think people are quite across that issue but um, yeah maybe something maybe something good in the work maybe a bit of a bit of positivity there uh, why is Fonterra doing this? Again, just explain um, what the processes are. Well, he's saying that you know the recovery is happening, but it's not clear that it will be sustained. And uh, one of our reporters, Riley Kennedy, he's you know he's been talking to the experts on this, and you know it looks okay at the moment, but. Uh, you know, the other issue for dairy farmers will be that milk production is expected to be lighter in the second half of the season compared to the year before. And this is driven by um, El Nino and the uncertainty that that weather phenomena sort of causes. Um, and, you know, the other issues for farmers, of course, on-farm inflation is really, really high at the moment. I think it's up to, I think it was, yeah, 16% at the moment. Oh, general inflation is isn't it? Yeah, these are input costs for various things. Yeah, yeah, basically, you know what it, what it, what it costs for for operating your farm. I mean, it was quite it was highlighted on the weekend. You know, got the Federated Farmers President Wayne Langford going out on Q and A and saying he spent half of his milk check in June and July on interest alone. I mean, you know, if a lot of New Zealanders feeling interest, it's what New Zealand families are feeling with houses that they've purchased. But um, yeah. Uh, hasn't been a great time for farmers. What of the political parties and what they have on offer? Um, well, obviously, you know, the Nats have got a 19-point plan getting back to farming, you know. This includes lots of scrapping of regulations and this two-for-one deal that they've got. You know, a, a review body is going to, for every one regulation set up, they'll scrap two existing ones. So... You know, there's quite a lot, quite a lot in there from the national government, and it's expected. You know, if things go as as the polling sort of indicates, um, happy days. National party Maybe. would become the national government. Um, yeah. They've also, of course, put back the um, date at which uh, farm emissions begin to be priced. They put that back five years. Yeah, huge, huge, huge for those for those on farm costs, and it would, that will be a huge, huge release for farmers. But you know. Yeah, Regulation, yes, important to farmers, but we're still at the, at the whim of you know what's happening out of China. You know what the recovery 
is like there and what the global prices are doing. You know, it's not just the, the, the New Zealand factors, I guess, or the political factors that come into what's, what's influencing, um, you know, how milk farming businesses operate. Uh, it's uh, it's an interesting one that, uh, and of course, as you say, they are impacted by the same inflation, in fact worse by the sounds of it, and by the same uh, interest rates that everyone is grappling with, but uh, they are large and complex businesses and often with um, significant loans on them. Um, are we hearing much by means of policy from you know from any of the others? It's, it's, it's an interesting one actually. A lot of the focus on on national and on um, act as well. I am curious about this regulations kind of thing. You know, <laughs> you know, if we introduce one, we'll scrap two. And you're left wondering, on what basis do we think we should check out whether whether <laughs> whether yeah. the regulations are actually serving a purpose? And if they're not, should they go? And if they are, should they stay? It's a it's a very it's a kind of a chocolate box kind of um you know policy to take to an election it's 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 a gimmicky one i would say i think that's the way to describe it because the one regulation that comes in to replace the two regulations could be crap (laughs) you know it could just be poorly poorly written and confusing and, and not helpful at all so I get what they're trying to say. The the rhetoric is there, and I think that farmers understand that, and that's what they're playing to. They they want ease of doing business, isn't it? So that's what it's sort of about the 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 the, the quality of the re- the quantity of the regulations, not even the quality. Which I've gotten the feeling it's limited. also a recycled um, a recycled policy. Yeah. The other thing, yeah. uh, it was, as we said, this Farmgate milk price is such a moving feast, and of course the other thing that farmers will be bracing for, many of them certainly on the east coast of the North Island, spent so much uh, of okay. these past few months, this past year, it seems, dealing with the physical impacts of slips, and they still are you know, trying to move stock between farms and parts of Tairawhiti and Hawke's Bay remains a drama, um, to put it mildly. But now many of these regions are are facing the potential of going into a drought weather pattern, and that can very quickly um, impact on on costs again, on stock levels, on feed. So they'll be looking for healthy returns on anything they are selling. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just... I mean, you know, understanding the weather. That, that, I mean, that they have to deal with the weather every year. It's, it, it, it is, it is, you know, a factor. But I mean, they've just got to make sure that they they do what they can and and, and not become too, um, I don't know, influenced in, in by regulation going forward. All right, let's have a look at another novel policy that came out from National last week, which is to have a minister for space. Um, part of me thinks the old I'm from the government and I'm here to help uh, joke, which mm. is in other words, we're doing okay, so just get out of it, will you? But how was it received and, and what would this Minister for Space do? Yeah, quite interesting because, you know, there was a bit of a flashy, you know, trip for Chris Luck, Christopher Luxon down to Rocket Lab's headquarters to announce this policy. He's obviously, uh, well, you know, paired quite chummy with Peter Beck, the, um, you know, the founder of... Rocket Lab. I mean, a space minister. It's um, it's it's an interesting one because you know it could just be a a, a minister just you know for the sake of having a minister. It's like um, 
What was the other one someone was talking about the day? I can't remember off the top of my but head. But like associating yourself with an industry that's going well. Uh, yes. Sort of, yeah. You know well, what I mean? Just, well, it's you know picking how, a winner. You know how people stand behind the Prime Minister in photo shots or their letter and they mm, sort of mm, sidle mm. in to the, to the shot that goes out on television. There's, there's a hint of that to it, is there not? Yeah, well, maybe the other, the other way around the sidling up of Christopher Luxon to, you know, Peter Beck, who's, you know, listed this company and is generally seen as a success. But, you know, the thing the thing with space in New Zealand so far, it's, what is it? I think it's, two, I mean, there's two, these are 2019 figures, but it's 12,000 jobs, uh, 1.7 billion to the economy. It's not massively, massively huge, but the idea, yeah, this, this idea of latching on to something cool or, you know, something successful is this idea that New Zealand is remote and we've got the widest selection of launch angles for rocket launches and the you know other benefits for space infrastructure that you know we might not be able you know that, that maybe we should be you know harnessing in the same way i think maybe the you know the other comparison i was thinking about is is the film industry you know that that kind of one where the government really sort of got in behind uh, it's interesting also though because uh, one of the implications of setting up a minister for space, you've got some political uh, parties concerned that a lot of space business, as it involves, is going to have military um, customers, quite frankly. And so, again, that's we were talking about regulations. At some point, that discussion and debate is going to be had, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think the National Party's policy on this is... I presume it's more relaxed, but I'm not actually sure. I think, all right. So at the moment, I think you need ministerial approval for individual launches. But I think with the national government, there will be the removing of red tape. Oh, that's what I wanted to say. The minister of, it's like having a minister of racing, isn't it? I mean, you always have a minister for sport. Right. It's it's one of those things. But the other interesting thing about um, policy in this area is that um, you know, under the under the current polling, while National is supportive of, you know, the space industry and you know, you know, wants to make things easy and even, I mean, what is their estimate? They want aerospace to contribute ten billion times, uh, ten billion dollars to the New Zealand economy by twenty thirty. That's six times more than currently. But the ACT Party, of course, is against picking winners. So, you know, how will that play out? Um, in a well, it, it, and if there's a three-way, you may have a former minister of racing. What did you have his say as well? In the form of, uh, in <laughs> yeah, the form yeah, of Winston yeah. Peters. I mean, these are probably seen as small fry, frankly, in the mm, kinds of mm, negotiations mm. that that they're going to have. Um, but you know, the, the 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 whole area of opportunity beyond Rocket Lab. I know there's a really interesting institution in Central Otago. We have talked to them. Um, the um, space agency is that part of MB at the moment, or linked up to MB somehow? Yeah, there is there is work going on there. I had a look last night. I tried to look through the submissions onto space policy because there was quite a lot of work released in this earlier earlier in the year. And it's quite interesting because there's a lot of individuals, a lot of scientists, Microsoft, you know, obviously interested from a data centre point of view. Um, they were going on about what they had done in Australia, which had helped remote communities, that sort of thing. A lot of anonymous submissions, so you just can't tell. I guess it's a sort of a big mystery. But um, our science guy, Greg Harrell, he says, you know, there are space companies. I'm not even sure what this is, but he said there's green rocket fuel 
uh, fuel, stratospheric long-flying drones and superconductive space drives all being worked on and these are all a lot of these are staff that have come from Rocket Lab and are doing other space startups so you know then maybe there is more to go we just can't can't see it yet. What happens with the New Zealand Space Agency funding? Um, as I said I understand it's part of MB, but what happens with uh, its current budget? Oh I'm not clear on that one actually. I think National is actually not really going to mess with what's there already. I think it continues to sort of ring fence it um, around, I think it's um, the Civil Aviation Authority's budget. So they're not doing too much meddling around, but obviously Christopher Luxon is clinging to Peter Beck to... <laughs> <laughs> Look, photo opportunities are photo opportunities, and a Minister yeah. of Space there is. Now, Sanitarium yeah, and Wheatbix Gate, an interesting event with Sanitarium deciding that it can and will supply the warehouse again. How are you reading how this is unfolding? Oh, I thought this was fascinating, Catherine, because the warehouse comes out on the day of its AGM. It's AGM. It's reporting, you know... It, <laughs> It's fronting to investors because their profits are down like 70%, you know. So this is like a PR masterclass because on the day of the AGM, they're complaining about sanitarium, uh, you know, has cut, has cut off its supply. And it's, you know, it's captured all the headlines in the imagination because, you know, sanitarium, of course, has its ownership by um, the Seventh-day Adventist, which is a charity and isn't paying profit, uh, isn't paying uh, tax on its profits, um, which sort of, I mean, it's a long-standing issue, but it's it's re-outraged uh, people uh, because of the supply issue. Well, the supply issue is one thing. The way it was managed is quite another. Mm. And the fact that they've now backtracked and said we are supplying possibly indicates they realised they were in a, in, in a spot of bother. Was there any other reason? Yeah, really interesting. I mean, yeah, the backlash was really swift, and you've got the warehouse. I mean, these guys are really good marketing players. They're inviting it on their social media. You know, they're saying, hey, guys, you know, on on, on Facebook or Instagram, you know, why should we not be able to supply, you know, Wheatbix, you know, the nation's breakfast, you know, at, at, a, at, at a much cheaper price, price by the way, the price, retail yeah, than, yeah, than any of the yeah, other examples. Yeah, yeah. I am interested as to what the Commerce Commission does, whether the back down is the end of the road or whether they keep looking into this. Well, see, I think, that, well, I mean, there's a missed opportunity. I mean, I guess with my legal hat on, boy, you'd you'd one of us, you'd want this to be tested, you know. It's not really that clear what uh, exactly what legal provisions the warehouse was going under. You know, they just sort of said uh, the Commerce Act. We've got the Grocery Commissioner, you know, who you know the irony of him being can't remember his name now, but the irony of him being the former head of Sanitarium. Um, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, but, you know, we're going to see more of this. And there have been other tweaks, along with this, you know, grocery code and all of that going on. There's been other tweaks uh, to the Commerce Act. The interesting one that I sort of noticed was the Section 36 of the Commerce Act, which has massively been beefed up. Uh, what is it? Preventing business with substantive market power from suppressing competition. So... The previous test, uh, this is, you know, uh, what the the lawyers say about how the law has been operating. The previous test was costly and difficult to enforce, so, you know, companies didn't have to comply uh, or weren't sort of incentivized to comply because they thought they could get away with it, I guess is what they're saying. Um, 
But now, uh, you know, if you have market power, the Commerce Commission can also look at you. So there are other there are other avenues here, and I just think, boy, this would have been a really good one to to get tested. And I guess we wait and see now, uh, you know, where else this plays out. I mean, I just wonder if the warehouse has this sort of issue because it's it's relatively new in this grocery. Uh, well, not new, relatively new to the return to the grocery sector again. And I wonder if, you know, it is having all these, you know, very interesting supply conversations. I wonder if, you know, there were other suppliers that it could have, you know, uh, made a shout out about. But, you know, Wheat Bix, that iconic cereal, you know, that's one that really captures the imagination, doesn't it? Let's see where the Commerce Commission get with it and whether it's the end of the road or not. Thank you, yeah. Victoria yeah. Young, Business Desk Investigations Editor.